Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new here, uh, joining us online, uh, we're really glad that you're here. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor, and just glad that all of you are worshiping with us, whether it's in the room, um, you're streaming with us live, or you're watching us later. Really glad that you are with us, and we are week two into our uh, series on marriage and relationships. And as always, I start doing one of these series and just kind of countless stories and illustrations from my own marriage and from couples that we have spent time with to start popping into my mind. And there's two in particular that kind of hit me for this week. And um, as a disclaimer, I just want to make sure we guys clear, I'm not going to tell any stories about anybody that you know, and I'm not going to tell any stories about you or hide them. So it's like if I say, and it's this couple that I did pre-marriage counseling with, and you're going to be like, did you say that? Like, it's not you, it's none of you, so just turn off your curiosity meter. Uh, that'd be great. Um, it was, but it was, was when I first moved here, and it was one of the first couples that I'd, I'd had the opportunity to marry. And, um, you know, we we're, were doing pre-marriage counseling with them. They were meeting me at the old church building. And I don't exactly remember what topic I had in mind for that day, but when, as soon as they walked in, it took me about 15 seconds to realize I didn't, I didn't need to bring a topic up. They, they brought the topic with them. Uh, there was just a lot of stress, and you could tell that they were really upset with each other. And so like, you just kind of start with, hey, so what's up? Just to try to get it out of them. And he goes, man, you will not believe it. She's just being ridiculous. She's being completely ridiculous. There's this movie that we both really like, and I saw it on sale, the DVD, and I bought it. And she's freaking out about it. And I'm like, okay. And as always, you know, you know, you know you're not going to get the entire story from, you know, just talking to one person. It's like, so what would, what would you say is going on? He's like, oh, yeah, he bought the DVD. Yeah, I'm mad about it because you know why? Now we have zero money for groceries. I'm like, dude, that's, that's a little different than I just wanted to buy a movie. Like if you spent your food money on it, and so now we're just having this this conversation, right? And we'll talk a little bit more. I'm just going to kind of preview both these stories, talk a little bit more, kind of get into the, to the heart of the message, kind of the core of these struggles. And so there's just, you know, this couple, they're just getting ready to start out. They don't have very much money, and money is already a big deal. Uh, there's also another time, this is before we lived here, it's a couple that was, they were struggling, and they called and asked us to come over, could we come over to their house and just kind of talk to them, they, they were just struggling. And their home was a million dollar home, and based on what we knew of this couple, I mean, we just knew, I mean, you, would just, you know, if they had money problems, they, they didn't have what we would consider money problems. They didn't have the kind of money problems where they, they if they wanted something, they couldn't buy it. They, they, they didn't have anything like that. I mean, it was a... They were, they were very well off, had plenty of resources, and just did whatever they wanted. But it became pretty apparent just even a few minutes into it, like, well, so, so what's going on? And again, it was all about money. They were fighting about money. Her attitude towards money and the way that she perceived him. And it was just, it was just a constant conflict. Again, it was not about... Um, having enough. It wasn't about being in debt or anything like that. But here they are having this huge conflict about money. And I'll preview this a little bit. We'll talk about it a little bit more in depth. Essentially, she made more money than him and she made sure he knew that all of the time. 
and essentially just used it as a weapon against him. And it was, it was, it was, it was very problematic. And so, again, we'll talk about both these stories here a little bit, but I just kind of preview them both for you because here it is, a couple who has no money, and money is a huge issue between them. Here's a, a, a couple that had more than enough money, and it was a huge issue between them. Money being at the core, being a, a core divider, a core struggle in marriage, has nothing to do with the quantity of money that you have. You cannot say, well, we don't, we don't have enough money to fight about. Or you can't say, oh, we got all the money we need. Of course we're not going to fight about it. It does not matter how much money that you have. Marriage after marriage after marriage, one of the top things that marriages fight about, one of the top reasons why marriage and family break up is over money. And if you don't, if you don't know if you weren't here last week, essentially that's kind of how we decided to make this series. I just did some research and tried to find what were like the top five reasons why marriages split up. And so let's just do a series on all of those weeks. Last week we talked about how extended family stress is one of the, one of the top reasons. It was a surprising one for me. If there's anything surprising about money being on the list, it's like I would have told you, I was absolutely convinced that it would have been number one. Absolutely would have been number one. Our, our experience has, has, has been that way with families that we've interacted with. I would have said it was number one, but number one, this is a little preview for next week, number one on almost all of these lists is infidelity. And I still want to suggest that I'm right. I'm going to preview this here for just a little bit of next week for you. Um, I also want to suggest I'm right because I'm con- infidelity typically is a symptom of whatever the core problem was. And it's not really, it's, 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 it's the straw. It's not the thing that caused the problem. So we are going to talk about that next week. I want you to kind of be clear. Those of you who are bringing your kids, I don't, and this thing, nothing's inappropriate is going to be said, but we'll, we will touch on sex somewhat. But infidelity, by and large, is not necessarily... Uh, completely a sex problem. There's a lot more going on there, but that is the topic that we're going to be talking about next week, and I just want to make sure everybody knows that. But for right now, we're talking about money, and again, what I would believe is definitely, at a minimum, it is a top two cause of stress and divorce and problems in marriage. And last week, we were looking at Genesis chapter 2, when God brings Adam and Eve together, and he talks about, and they talk about, you know, that you leave your father and mother, and you they come together and they become one. I'm not going to look at Genesis chapter 2 today, but essentially it's going to be the same passage. I'm going to be looking at a passage in Matthew where uh, Jesus is just essentially quoting that passage in Genesis chapter 2. Because the Pharisees here, these kind of religious antagonists to Jesus, were always trying to trap him with questions. And their question was, is it okay to divorce your wife? Is it ever okay to divorce your wife? And they're trying to trap him here because if he says, no, it's never okay, they can be like, well, Moses said that there were some, and you look at Leviticus, there are some reasons. Or, you know, if he says, oh, sure, I mean, I guess there's some, he's like, well, you don't think, God said marriage, marriage is, you know, it's sacred. So they, they thought they could trap him, which of course he never can because he's Jesus. And they ask him this question, this answer in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
I'll do a quick little poll here in the room. How many people during your wedding, uh, at some point the pastor said, therefore what God is joined together, let no one separate? Oh, Anybody I married, I said it. I thought that everybody said it. Oh, maybe they said asunder? Maybe got a, who's got asunder? Tear asunder? I don't know what the word means. I guess it means separate. Um, so Jesus is saying here, marriage is sacred. And there's something you don't understand about marriage. This is not just simply some contract that two people make with each other that can be, that can be broken if there's some sort of problem. He says, God made them male and female, and he brought them together. And he says, when God puts them together, it says that they become, they become, they become one. And, and, and the physical act of sex is kind of representative of that. I mean, it's, 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 it's the coming together to become one thing. So you're not now two people. You're one family. You're one couple. You're one team. And, and, and once God has put something together... You can't separate that. And I think that there is a mentality here that I think that we miss out on. And again, there is a, there's another message out there somewhere where we could talk about how oneness and, and, and losing your own identity in the context of a relationship is a problem. We could talk about that. We talk about that a different day. But right now we're going to talk about the struggle that I think that a lot of couples have where they really are, they're just roommates, they're just roommates. They're just partners. But they don't really view themselves as one team. It, there, it is, it's, it's us. It's us. There's me and there's you. There's me and there's you. And sometimes we have to make decisions, I guess. But what God is talking about here, what Jesus is talking about here is that, man, when God brings you together, you become one. And so we talked about this a little bit last week with 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 our extended families and how they can kind of pull on that oneness and don't, they don't want us to leave and start this new thing. But there are a lot of other things that can kind of drive this wedge and keep us from really talking about we and us and being one team, and money is one of them. And the biggest thing, the most important thing that I feel like I'm going to say today is this first idea. If we are going to make sure that we are going to be we, we're going to be a team and we're, and we're not going to let money be a wedge that kind of comes between us. And one thing I want to make sure we all understand is this. That when we think about money in the context of marriage and family, there is only our money. Our money. We have one money. There's all of this money, and we put it all together, and all of this money together, it's just one money. It's money, and it's our money. There's not your money and my money. There's not the money I make and that's my money and there's the money that you make and that's your money. There's only our money and, it, and whoever's name is on the check is irrelevant. And we put the money that I make and the money that you make and we put it together and it becomes our money. And that's all that there is. Only our money. Because that was the problem with this, with this wealthy family. She viewed money in terms of my money. This is my money, and I make a lot of money. And in a normal world, the money that he made would also have been a lot of money. But by comparison, it was not. And so she had her money, and he had his money, and she had more money. And so since she had more money, that meant that she got a greater vote. That meant she was more important. And that meant he wasn't quite up to snuff. He wasn't quite good enough. He wasn't quite holding his own. 
And so she used this as a club on him all the time. How come you don't make more money? I make all this money, and you don't make enough money. And she would, and she would beat him with this. And it is ve- that is a very common idea. A very common idea that in a couple, I mean, I guess mathematically it would be almost impossible for the couple to make the exact same amount of money. But very often there's, within a couple... Um, one person will make significantly more. And there becomes this attitude that, ha- that happens. It's like that the person who makes the most money is in charge of the money because the money is theirs. I earned this money, so I decide, or at least I get to mostly decide what I do with this money. I mean, I guess you can give some input, but you make... You know, you bring in 30%, so your vote counts 30%. If your vote counts 30% and one person counts 70% and there's only two people voting, you lose all the time because, again, it's about me versus you, and it's not about our. And that is one of the most destructive ideas in marriage because now money is a competition. And now we determine someone's value within the team, within the couple, based on the amount of money that they bring in. And now our values are driven by who can generate the most money. And I have to make sure that I can take care of myself because it's very clear that they view their money as theirs. And if I'm ever going to be independent, I I can't trust this person. I have to learn to be independent. And it becomes this small wedge, becomes a big wedge, and inside that wedge becomes this time bomb where everything will eventually blow up. Now that's not to say that you can't have separate checking accounts for different reasons. And that's certainly not to say that you cannot have some discretionary money that is yours. But the question is, you have money and we decide what each one of us can use as discretionary money. I mean, obviously, you know, if you both have a job or one of you guys has a job, and you may get a bonus or whatever, and you're like, oh, this is my bonus. Or you get, or you get Christmas money or whatever. <coughs> or me, a 49-year-old who still gets birthday money from his mommy. Oh, my mommy, look, it's my, it's my birthday. My mommy sent me some birthday money. Like, I'm going to go buy something special for my mommy's money, right? And... Um, it's really sweet. It's, it's sweet. Um, but <coughs> that's, well, that, 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 that's certainly my money. Well, that depends. And that depends on what we agree upon as a team. Are we in a season where we can even have discretionary money? If we decide that we don't have enough money for any money to be discretionary, then even bonuses and gifts and those kind of things, get, they, they kind of get lumped into the cause of whatever's going on to make sure that we can pay bills, to overcome this debt, to, to meet this problem or whatever. But we decide that. And if we decide that this money is for your discretionary spending, then, then great. But once we start feeling like we have, we have some claim to make, this is mine, and because it's mine, you don't get to speak into it. We have, we have lost the picture of what marriage is, and we are, and we, and we are, we are entering into this idea that, that, that money will then become a wedge that becomes between us. 
And so, again, I think it is, it, it is incredibly important that we begin to think about money in this way. And we think about money together collectively as a team. And if I were just going to broaden that out a little bit, man, I just want to say, you, you cannot use first-person plural pronouns enough. When we talk about money, we only talk about what is ours. It is us and we and our and ours. Not you, not me, not mine, not yours. Ours, we, we have to be a team. And so in addition to just kind of this big picture idea that there's only our money, the next thing I would say is that we, we need to make sure that we are on the same page. We are on the same page. We are together in agreement about the what's, why's, and how's of how we deal with money. Well, you know, I mean, I like to save, she likes to spend. Oh, he doesn't really think that's that big a deal, but I really hate it. You know, she seems, she likes to give. I don't know what, why she's all into that, but I guess I'll let her do it. I mean, do we have a collective idea about how it is we manage our money? And that we are completely and totally on the same page about this. And one of the primary ways that this has come up historically for Heidi and I, as we've observed a lot of couples who are, have money problems in their marriage, one of the biggest things that seems, to be, that seems to always come up is who is the one that is in charge of managing the finances? When the bills come in, who pays them? If there's some challenging situation that you're going through, we're like, okay, we've got to move money around, we've got to do this, we've got to pay this debt down, we've got we this unexpected bill, how are we going to handle that? Who is in charge of that? When the bills come in, when, when things need to be deposited, when, when, when checks need to be sent, when you need to get online and pay all the bills, who's in charge of that? And here's the next question. Is the person who is in charge of that, do they want to be? It was way more often than not. The person who is in charge of managing the finances is there by default. Because one of them... Typically, the dude is like, oh, man, I'm not good at anything. I'm an idiot. I can barely keep up with myself. I can't. She's real smart and good, and she can can remember things. And so um, I just, she's in charge. And and there's a little bit, there's just enough self-deprecation in there and just enough flattery where it makes it sound like it's a good, well, I'm kind of dumb, and she's real smart. So we do it because she's smart. Well, that's not what's going on there. It It is just pure abdication. I don't want anything to do with this. Oh, no, she's the one that's got all the opinions. She's always the one that's getting all bent out of shape if we don't pay the electric bill. And then it's like, so I think if you're going to have all these opinions about paying bills on time, then you should be the one that has to do it. And then, because there's not some great team decision that's made here, where we have decided that the best process for us in managing our bills and managing our monies is this, then what tends to happen is it is put upon someone and they feel alone and unsupported. And it causes a huge conflict. Maybe not today, maybe not next week, but one day. One day you will find yourself in our living room talking about it, talking with a counselor, talking with a friend, talking with someone else. And it comes down to 
we don't agree on what our plan needs to be for managing our money. And so if, if, there's, if there's a piece of practical advice that I would like to give, it would be this simple. If you are the one who is not in charge of paying the bills, some point in the next couple of days, go to the person who is and say, do you feel good about this? And you will get one of 